Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 43. So in this episode, we're going to start on our sort of year of the human person. We're going to start actually with a little bit of brain science. So Bill is here with me. Yeah, hi, Bill. The inimitable Bill Schmidt. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to try to dive in. We're going to dive in a little bit and talk about the overall structure of the brain and then maybe some issues uh, that, that give us a certain amount of enlightenment about how the brain interacts, you know, what, what, what the physical structure of the brain does in the context of a lot of uh, different human experiences and then see if we can get some perspective on, you know, there's a certain philosophic, pseudo-philosophic, I mean, that hasn't really been thought through enough, I think, to merit the name philosophy, but uh, the sort of reductionist materialist interpretation that, you know, well, we can follow this stuff around the brain, and that means there's nothing going on except, you know, brain chemistry, brain electrical stuff, uh, yeah, which is yeah. a little bit much. Uh, but, that's, but that's what we want to actually look at the science, and from that, you know, get some perspective to discuss that question. So we'll start out, yeah, we'll start out just a little bit discussing the brain itself. Um, so, and the, the discussion happens to be, you know, I happen to have done some reading, two books. One of them is called The Body Keeps the Score, which, boy, uh, that's, that's a fascinating and powerful book that talks about PTSD. It talks about soldiers. I mean, it's, it's, it's written by a researcher who is uh, is Bessel van der Kolk, I believe was his name. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, the body keeps the score. Look that up um, online and you will will find the book. It's it's now a pretty famous book. He was involved in the beginnings of PTSD research in the 80s and has followed it through to the present day. And what's really fascinating and, you know, sad and yet also obviously uplifting in the sense that badly needed work is being done is that he also Mm -hmm. um, has studied... You know that 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 work turned out to lead him straight into child abuse and neglect, and you know how how you know deficiencies in your childhood upbringing you know stay with you through life, and you know the the great necessity, I mean the great importance of doing that well, and and the details that need to need to happen, and the, the bonding that needs to happen um, for children to become secure adults. Um, so it's a really fascinating and powerful book, and it talks a lot about brain structure and especially how the emotional part of the brain um, operates. Um, and then I also had pulled up a book um, went back when I was way back in February of last year when I was originally doing my sort of book shopping for this uh, arc of the uh, podcast because I've been anticipating doing it for almost a year. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a book called Mapping the Mind by Rita Carter, uh, I would definitely recommend you pick up and, and read a copy of Body Keeps the Score. I don't know that I can really make that kind of recommendation for mapping the mind. I think it was a reasonably good picture of the science as it was in 1998. Uh, and I haven't found something more updated, that you know, much more updated, that really seems to promise being any better. But uh, it's, it's nevertheless not necessarily the greatest book. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of reduction. It starts out very poorly. I don't, I don't know that the author really got to the point of understanding the subject matter when she was writing uh, the first part of the book. I don't know that she wow. ever went back and revised it. Um, it seems like she got much, 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 much better as the book went on was my... Uh, maybe, maybe you could drop a couple of the muches, but she certainly got better as the book went on, I thought. 
um, in terms of understanding sort of the broader context of what she was talking about. But nevertheless, it's it's uneven, and it has the terrible 90s habit of, um, you know, it's, it's put together like a textbook, like a late 20th century textbook, and or for that matter, early 21st century textbook, where there's text inserts within the text, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of choppy. Kind of scattershot. It's a little scattershot. Um, but nevertheless, it does it does provide some perspective, and it certainly you know reinforces a lot of the points that I had learned, and you know broadened broadened it out in terms of what what the brain in general does um, from what was being covered in the body keeps the score, which was of course talking about trauma specifically, um, and how that how that affects how you make decisions and and feel later in life. Um, That's fascinating. Mm. So anyway, but yeah, so so both books would agree on the. I mean, it's it's apparently pretty generally established. I probably even learned a little bit about it in high school biology. Um, but there's kind of three overall regions of the brain, and that so there's the brain stem, the medulla, etc. And that uh, that that part of the brain is you know goes all the way back. You know, in, in evolutionary terms, it goes all the way back to you know the earliest chordates, probably. Um, clusterings of nerves that you know start to orchestrate sort of the overall behavior of the organs of the body. Um, so that part of the brain controls the you know the very unconscious. Your heart keeps beating. The stuff that you actually can't control. Your liver does whatever your liver does. Um, your stomach contracts. All of that sort of thing, as well as things that you could take into conscious. You know, obviously primarily breathing, but apparently also eye tracking. So that's an interesting thing from the perspective of, you know, think of think of someone like Terry Schiavo or someone like that. Uh, right. So that's 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 a caution, you know, to take into mind. Apparently it's a reasonably well established that, you know, your eyes will track around the room. A person who's basically, you know, cerebral cortex has been largely destroyed, which of course that's going to be the final biggest, most developed the human part of the brain. Um, you, your eyes will still track around the room because that's a that's a very basic function of you know any kind of animal would be to you know look around to scan the environment for food scan the environment for danger um, right so that that goes all the way down in the quote lizard brain which is really just kind of the brain stem um, and then above that there is what's called the sort of limbic system or the mammal brain. And that has a lot of individual components that are there sort of at the core of the brain as we recognize it. And so a lot of things to do with, you know, still fairly basic processes like laying down memories, which the hypothalamus is uh, one of the most important things there. Uh, there's also, of course, since there's a hypothalamus, there better be a thalamus. Um, mm -hmm. the, the amygdala, which are very involved in, you know, gut emotional responses, like especially fear. So um, mm. the body keeps the score, talks about the amygdala or amygdala. I couldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a word with more than one. It just means something like almonds in reference to its shape. Oh. It's just a shape word. Um, so in geology, there's a con there's something called amygdules, which would be almond-shaped deposits inside of rocks. They often happen where bubbles and lava rock have been filled by some sort of mineral later on. 
So you talk about amygdaloidal basalt, not to Uh be confused with the amygdala or the the amygdala in your brain, but Mm -hmm. somewhat the same shape. The ones in your brain are probably a little bigger. (laughs) But (laughs) there are two of them. Like there's most of the brain is, nearly all the brain is separated into two halves. Um, So there are two amygdala, there are two halves, the hypothalamus and the thalamus. Um, Several other sort of, you know, the, the midbrain, the mammal brain, is kind of divided into several individual little components that are scattered through the sort of center of the brain area. And so again, they handle they handle pretty basic things. They communicate with consciousness, but they're not necessarily consciousness. Well, I mean, they're not, as far as we can tell. We don't we don't register register them as conscious thought. When conscious thoughts are going on, there must be some part of the third and largest part of the brain, the cortex the cortex and the lobes. Um, I'm not, I, having read this entire book, I don't think it was ever spelled out exactly what the difference between cortex and lobes were. I think the lobes are just huh. sort of the lower parts of the cortex out toward the sides. Um, and then when you talk okay. about, say, the motor cortex, that's over the top of the brain. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I'm, 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 as far as I can tell, lobes and cortex are practically, you know, so you're talking about your frontal lobe, um, and then the other the other part the other lobes are named for the parts of the skull that they're underneath. So the temporal lobe is under your temples. The parietal and occipital lobes are under the parietal and occipital bones of the skull. Um, now, when one when one talks about uh, uh, one talks about a lobotomy, is that uh, lobotomy? So I'll be cutting out the frontal lobe or a lot of it. Okay. And that's the problem. <laughs> a lobotomy. Yeah, it was I mean, it 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 certainly achieved drastic results uh-huh. uh, to the tens of thousands of people who had it done to them. Um but that that removes a lot of your I mean, so it, it's really those frontal parts of the brain. So the rear of the brain is involved <clears throat> in the very back of the brain is actually ironically the visual cortex. So that's mm. That's divided into several subregions, so visual data comes in through your optic nerves, and like almost everything in the brain, except the sense of smell, oddly enough, everything crosses over. Yeah. What, what the divine, what being itself had in mind when it set us out that way, I, I assume other mammals are laid out the same way, I don't know how far back it goes, are birds like this, are reptiles like this, I'm not really sure. Um, uh-huh. But the left eye primarily feeds the right half. Well, that's not strictly. No, that's that's not even true. Um, but there is a big switching over. The eyes and the ears is not this simple, but the right half of the brain controls the left half of the body, and the left half of the brain yeah, controls yeah. the right half of the body, and the left half of the yeah. brain in people is more or less in charge. So the left hemisphere does a lot more of the sort of making decisions and the right hemisphere is usually sort of subservient to a degree. Yeah. Although they're both necessary obviously for function. And one really fascinating thing, um, ma- the Mapping the Mind book talks about a lot of terrible, terrible, terrible things that have apparently happened to people's brains, whether deliberately or accidentally. <laughs> so there are apparently yeah. people who have somehow come into existence, you know, very as, you know, embryos, fetuses, or very young infants, somehow had mm, half of their brain removed. 
more or less. Like, you know, they've wow. lost the left hemisphere, or the right hemisphere, I guess, for that matter. And if you lose it early enough, one hemisphere can sort of diversify its function to the point of taking over a lot, if not perhaps absolutely all of the function of a normal brain. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But if you develop normally and then you lose half your brain, say, in your 20s or something, uh, you have problems, <laughs> believe it or not. I, I, mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I know this probably shocks most of our listeners to think that you could not just lose half your brain and, and not have any significant problems with it, but, but as a matter of fact, you might have significant problems. <laughs> wow. <laughs> of course, well, that, that one half the brain does. So we, and we talk about left, left brain, right brain stuff that's become part of our sort of cultural tropes. Yeah, and what you're saying uh, fits in with the general understanding that in some sense the mind uh, is more nimble as when, when you're young. It's more flexible and, and it takes in skills like language uh, more yeah. easily when you're young and it is more hardened and less flexible later on in life. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, that's I think a lot of the research in the last 20 years has sort of um, has spelled out that, yes, it slows down, but it doesn't stop. Um, yeah. You right. can, you, and mm -hmm. in fact, you can continue exercising it and making new connections. So that's a fascinating thing, too. So the brain is built of neurons, and it's just billions and billions of neurons. Um, there are a lot more neurons in a single human brain than there are people on Earth, which is a, a kind of a fascinating thing to wrap my head around. That really is something, um, yeah. And nerve cells are, they have a I mean, they have a wide variety of shapes, but they have these just many of them at least, I think, have these enormously long tails that sort of cross over into other parts of the brain, like, you know, so macroscopic distances, i.e., you know, centimeters long, I guess. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I'm just reading that, but it, it's, it's pretty significant. And that's, of course, a lot of the connection system between different, because, of course, different parts of the brain have to participate in most human activities. Widely distributed right. parts of the brain have to participate in different human activities. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so the sort of stereotypical left hemisphere versus right hemisphere activities. So the the left hemisphere, oddly enough, so so we think of that, you know, so who 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 does left left brain thinking, right? Who generically does left brain thinking in society? Mm hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe more like engineers or, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of other people, you know, doing fairly deterministic things. Um, uh -huh. Scientists, up to some degree, although that can be overstated, you need some definite right brain skills to do science very well. Um, but you think of artists and architects, right. maybe, and people like that as being, you know, right brain thinking. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, in an ordinary person, the usual distribution of work is that the left brain will deal with the details, and the right brain sort of sees the whole picture, and is therefore, right. yes, through kind of more, deals more with intuition than the left brain does, whereas the left brain is somewhat more about um, seeing things in order and seeing the individual details and being sort of local, we might say. It okay. sees local right. order and local structure and the right brain sees overall structure. There's also a fascinating um, commentary. The right brain is usually more depressed. <laughs> Isn't that something? 
<laughs> if you if huh. you suppress the left brain and you're just left with the right brain uh, for you know someone who you know grew up with their normal amount of you know a, a normal an ordinary you know more common distribution of left brain versus right brain function and then you suppress the left brain uh, the left brain's got a plan and therefore you know is actually a good deal more cheerful than the right brain the right brain is can be sort of maudlin. And if a lot of your negative emotions may arise or get uh, passed through the right half of the brain. Huh. So, so the uh, idea is... More, more, the, uh, more the negative emotions than the positive emotions? To some degree, yeah. I, I wrote that note down, and then I wrote in parentheses, coincidence that this book is from the 90s? <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, yeah. With the you know the grunge phenomenon and you know just just all of our general Gen X, why we don't know why life hurts this badly but it does sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, yeah yeah that's uh, that's that's apparently a, a sort of typical distribution of labor is that and and some fascinating you know you can see for evidence from drawings again with people who have say strokes or something on one side of the brain the focus on one side yeah, of the brain. Yeah. Um, you could see, so, so if you give a, a, an image, like a house with rooms in it, like, you know, a dollhouse, trying to draw a dollhouse that has, you know, the, is open and the rooms, you know, a cutaway of the rooms, and someone with left brain damage, the right brain is working, can sort of give you the whole outline of the house, and there's not really any details to it, whereas oh, the left wow. brain might give you the details, and the details might sort of spill out into an unrecognizable blob because the, the yeah. right brain sort of overall picture has been lost or muted. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. That's fascinating. Yeah. It sounds like uh, more kind of the uh, OCD kind of uh, syndrome uh, on the left. Uh, I yeah. don't know if that's, uh, you know, kind of obsession with the detail. Right, right, right. Yeah. So and then, and then from sort of front to back or back to front, so the brain, um, the cortex in particular, so it controls all the different, or it, it it takes in sensory information, and so then its sensory information gets taken into all sorts of areas. Uh, the ears actually pass information to the sides of the brain, but primarily the opposite side. And again, the eyes pass information to the back of the brain, but primarily to the opposite side. So the, the right eye, the left half of the field of vision of the right eye gets passed to the right side of the brain. And the left half of the field of vision of the left eye also gets passed to the right side of the brain primarily. That's so if you lose functionality back there in the back right of your brain, you may simply mm -hmm. not pay attention to, you know, you may, you may never, it may never actually register in your consciousness or even in your not, in your pre-consciousness, that there is mm -hmm. anything going on to your left. Oh, and what, there's, there's a similar separation, you know, the, the left ear feeds both auditory cortexes, but primarily the right one, and the right ear feeds both, or cortices, I suppose they would be. Um, the left ear, or, well, yeah, the right ear primarily feeds the left, and the left ear primarily feeds the right, although there's a little bit of crossover, so right to right and left to left as well, so that you can sort of, I think that's to help, you know, identify where sounds are coming from in space, probably, would ah, be my suspicion. Yes. Right. Um, but, but by God, your left nostril feeds the left half of your brain, and the right nostril feeds the right half of the brain. 
Oh, finally something sensible. Yeah. There had to be something that, uh, and apparently that was, so at some point, so the crossover probably develops, and then the and smell, of course, goes way, way back, right? Um, mm -hmm. Animals all the way back to, you know, sea squirts probably could smell in some sense. I mean, water would convey molecules to them, so they'd have something directly analogous to our sense of smell. Um, so that crossover, why ever it happened, um, may have happened somewhere um, between reptiles and mammals, or, you know, of course, mammals didn't actually de descend from reptiles. They all sort of descended from a common group of animals, but since they all lived in the Diphonian and uh, Carboniferous and Permian periods, uh, we don't really know exactly what they were like. Uh, we have their bones, but we don't really know exactly what they were like. Um, they were kind of reptile-like. Uh, so somewhere around there potentially is when this crossover started developing. I don't know that fish have it. I don't think fish have it. Um, I, so I'd be so curious that, as to what what would trigger that um, that switchover. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure that's a. I, I don't know that people have a real good answer for that. I I don't know that. Yeah. It's one of those things that may there may never be that much evidence, but then again, people it can. May, yeah. That's that's why that's why science is also a right brain activity because it involves <laughs> it, coming up with new ideas to test and new possible explanations for things. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> being an actual scientist means you realize that there's a lot of artistry and there's a lot of creativity and sort of bouncing ideas off the wall and seeing what they come up with. Um, right. It's, it's by no means just sort of a rote. I mean, like accounting. <laughs> Even engineers uh -huh. need to be creative. Depending on the type of engineering, oh, some of them need to be very creative. And very much so. Yeah. 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 Engineers to... celebrate their role in problem solving. Uh, they're, they're creative problem solvers. Uh, that's the art of engineering. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, so, the, so there's a lot of the brain and a lot of the, the cortex, a lot of the most advanced part of the brain is taken up. I mean, we're very visual creatures. We're apparently descended from very visual creatures. Primates use their sense of sight very, you know, very important um, to see exactly where that dad blame tree branch is if you're going to jump out on it and grab it. Oh, um, very true. Okay. Or if you're going to reach out with that mitt of yours and manipulate something, it's also very handy to have, you know, good 3D stereoscopic vision that, you know, that gets whole whole, you know, wedges of several cubic centimeters worth of gray stuff just dedicated to uh, figuring that stuff out, processing that yeah. so that we can work with it. And then there's the, the sort of sense of touch kind of marches up the back of the brain from the visual centers. Um, and then at the top of the brain is the motor cortex, like I mentioned. So there's a sort of mm -hmm. a, a strip across the top of the brain that's really sort of dedicated to sending signals back Go move this arm. <laughs> Start walking. And that that has to communicate with the lower parts of the brain. Um, in particular, the midbrain has several sections dedicated to, so the hypothalamus collects conventional memories. There's also something else. Gosh darn it. That's one of those things that, like I told you uh, before we started talking here, that there, there were a few things that I knew were interested that I never wound up actually writing down. There's uh, another there's another sort of suborgan in the in the midbrain that's sort of dedicated to coming up with you know developing habits habitual um, habitual activities you know physical skills so walking obviously would be a key one of those and that right. um, 
those organs, of course, are going to obviously they're going to need to interact with the motor cortex pretty uh, pretty uh, consistently. There's also and see and this is starting to show you the pattern of where we're ultimately getting to. This is sort of the, going to be the climax for this episode. Mm -hmm. Is that in front of the motor cortex is the premotor cortex, and there's a lot of this in the brain, you know, brain terminology, the anterior cingulate cortex. I don't know what the cingulate is, but it must be the anterior cingulate cortex means it's the one in the back. The prefrontal okay. lobe means the very front of the frontal lobe, and, and so on and so forth. Right. So the premotor cortex deals with sort of coming up with the intention to move. So there's a separate mm. area of processing there. And that, again, like I said, it, it leads you into the front of the brain. And the very front of the brain is where we do the most characteristically human things. It's where, oh, it's where everything that could possibly you know, result from free will takes place up in the front of the brain. And consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now, consciousness, I think, is the thalamus. You know, the thalamus, I heard it, actually, I think this is in The Body Keeps the Score. He refers to the thalamus as a cook. So this sensory information comes in from all directions, and the thalamus is responsible for somehow, you know, preparing it as into this sort of stew of, you know, sort of your unified experience of external reality. You know, these yeah. sounds and your sights and the smells and whatever your body feels like at the moment. Um, and then that has to get carried forward into your frontal cortex or your frontal lobe or various parts of your frontal lobe. So the parts that we're, if we're, if we're conscious of something, there are areas at the front of the brain that have to be registering activity, apparently, for that to happen. And if we remove those parts of the brain, we don't necessarily have those. And, wow. and there are other very high human abilities, like our ability to say, um, you know, to put off gratification and choose to do something else later or mm -hmm. to be persistent and continue with an activity despite the fact that it's painful or doesn't seem to be registering immediate success. Um, right. And those seem to require activity in the front parts of the brain. All, I mean, all of that stuff. So everything that we think of as being most characteristically human goes on in various parts of the, you know, the front cortex, the frontal lobe. And, and in particular, the prefrontal lobe. So judgment, you know, logic, um, reasoning, um, and, and a lot of other things like, uh, I mean, emotions come up, and so there's, there's a big, uh, there's a lot of communication between the front parts of the brain and the midbrain with all of our emotions, because they have deep physical, and that's, that's hence the title of the body keeps the score, um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's actually the, the purpose of the title of that book is to communicate that emotions and trauma in particular involves this massive ongoing interchange between the cortex, the sort of conscious parts of the brain, um, other parts of the cortex aren't necessarily conscious, the midbrain, um, and then the body. And that goes back and mm -hmm. forth. So, you know, you, you develop anxiety, your body tenses up, the fact that your body tenses up communicates back to your brain that you ought to mm -hmm. be upset about something, <laughs> in a sense. Right. Um, right. And so that, that becomes its own sort of reinforcing loop. And that can really, um, depending on the situation, I mean, obviously it, it exists for reasons. It serves us in certain ways um, and probably served our ancestors in certain ways, which gets us into the, 
the very sketchy ground of um, evolutionary um, psychology, um, which we'll, we'll discuss some in the next episode when we start talking about you know breaking down some individual issues. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, pro probably served people living a you know hunter-gatherer lifestyle in a tribe of a hundred people. There, there are some of these things that probably serve them better than they serve us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I have been ever, ever since I started reading and thinking along those lines. It sort of occurred to me that perhaps a lot of what we call original sin has to do uh -huh. with some of this mismatch between the lives that our possibly pre-conscious ancestors used to live and the lives we live now in civilization. I just, that's, my, my, that's just something that, you know, I, I roll that thought around in my head from time to time. Not exactly, huh. uh, I, I don't have any conclusions that I would uh, argue strenuously about, but it's, it's something I think that, uh, you know, thinking about these issues, being a, you know, human being living in this era where we're learning these things about ourselves, that, that's worth always thinking about. Yeah, really. So what's, con what's uh, called uh, concupiscence and the tendency toward sinfulness uh, and that, uh, an instinct, really, uh, yeah. that would sound like that would, uh, that would be more the uh, uh, instinctive uh, uh, part of the uh, brain, the habit-forming part of the uh, brain, rather than the conscious uh, wisdom proactive Right, uh, and of course we experience it. We experience it just like Saint Paul talks about that. You know, there's a different. I mean, it's it's like when you think about it, it's like, wow, that's a little spooky. Actually, there is a different law in my members. Is that not how he puts it in the letter to the Romans? Yeah. There is wow. a different yeah. law at war with, you know, myself essentially. Right. It's it, it's, it's rather fascinating. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Bill. I think that's probably a good place to wrap up this episode. Yes, it's, it lays a very good uh, groundwork in brain science, and it's already started us thinking about uh, what I think will be the topic of our next episode, which is kind of um, overlaying some of the uh, more uh, spiritual or at least what we'd call human uh, aspects of uh, life um, onto this map that you've laid out so well. Yeah, yeah. The speed, the I like that. that. Plays out. I like that. It gives us people, you know, it gives us religious people, as religious people, it gives us things to think about because, you know, a lot of this is being mediated through the body. But of course, as scientists, it also, you know, there's there's a lot to be, to think about rather before you go down the, uh, the sort of reductionist materialist path of, well, we can follow thoughts around the brain, so uh, there must not be anything to it but, you know, this chemical activity washing its way around. That's exactly. not exactly, <laughs> That's no, not I, exactly I a really insightful uh, interpretation of the situation. So, But it was very much the tendency in science uh, back in the 90s and uh, perhaps ongoingly uh, oh, yeah. to some degree. Yeah, there, there, there were yeah. people doing that in the 19th century, and there are definitely no shortage of people still doing it today. But I think the right. discourse actually does. I, I think it. I think there is some progress being made. I, I think there is some progress. I, I don't think very it's interesting. By any stretch. So, well, shall we say to our listeners that uh, we'll be uh, doing more thinking about that ourselves, and as inviting them into that 
uh, process in our next episode. Yes, I think so. I think that's great. All right. Great. Well, uh, thank you, Paul. That's a, a nice outlay, uh, an overview. I, I, I have to look back at my notes to see whether that was coming mostly from your left brain or right brain, but it was very interesting. <laughs> Exactly. I think you're you're, you're a very right-brained individual, Bill. You see the big picture. (laughs) I try to. I try to, but I enjoy the details, too, sometimes. Uh, And uh, I don't know still whether God is in the details or the devil's in the details. I've never understood the interplay between those two maxims. Right. Maybe both. Both Uh, both. uh, both are true. Well, thank you, Paul. Back, Back to you soon. 